In Indiana, big thrills are a state tradition. In Indiana, our downtowns and our small towns have the same amount of heart, and the moments that mean the most to you just happen. There's more to discover in Indiana. Selling Indiana as a must-see, can't-miss, live-and-work destination. That job in the hands of Hoosier Elaine Beadle. Join us for her journey from growing up on the farm in Ripley County to becoming a pioneer in the financial planning world to now heading the Indiana Destination Development Corporation on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. Elaine Beadle grew up on a farm near Batesville in southeast Indiana. She had a mind for numbers, and that took her to Hanover College, where she majored in math. She developed a love for helping people learn how to save and spend their money, eventually opening her own company in 1989, Beadle Financial Services. Elaine then went on to serve in state government and is now the secretary and CEO of the Indiana Destination Development Corporation. Elaine Beadle, it is a real treat to have you join me on the podcast uh, this week. How are you? I'm fine. I, In fact, uh, we're in a good place right now when we look at what we're doing and how we're moving forward. Well, I was thinking before the podcast started, you and I go back a long way, long before uh, what you're doing now, to your accounting days. And you were at one of the big accounting firms here in Indianapolis, Coopers and Librand, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Which is now Price Waterhouse Coopers. Yeah. So, so that, a few iterations ago. I was going to say that dates us. That's 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 a, a, a long time ago. But you have done so much since then, building a business, building your own company and a brand and all the great things you've done there. And now really giving back to the state of Indiana as well. We're going to talk about the, the business side in a moment. But you're the CEO of the Indiana Destination Development Corporation which is a relatively new organization at the state, really tasked with uh, driving tourism, but also driving talent uh, and attracting talent to the state. For those who don't know what the Indiana Destination Development Corporation is all about, give us a thumbnail description. Oh, absolutely. The Indiana Destination Development Corporation was legislatively put into place in 2019, uh, and it was to replace the Indiana Office of Tourism Development, which was you know, the primary tourism uh, entity to bring visitors to Indiana. However, the mission was expanded. It's still important to do what, what tourism did is to bring visitors here and expose them to all the good things that we have in Indiana. But we got broadened to say, let's tell that same quality of life, quality of place story to help businesses attract the talent that they need to work in their jobs and to look at all of the students that come to Indiana from all over to, to go to our colleges and universities to be able to give them an experience so that when they graduate, we want to keep them here, keep that talent here to, again, work with our businesses and other entities in Indiana. And so it's it's re retaining graduates, attracting talent, and attracting visitors. And, and the organization, it's uh, similar to the Indiana Economic Development Corporation in that it's not a, a straight government entity. It's kind right. of a, a quasi-government you know, private sector model, if you will. 
Right. Absolutely. It's a quasi-government entity, and that was part of the legislation. And that allows us to have a little more flexibility as we deal with the private private sector and to be able to partner more with them. The Indiana Economic Development Corporation is a quasi, as you mentioned, the state fair is a quasi, the Indiana State Museum. So there's multiple quasi-governments within the state of Indiana. Uh, but it does, again, as I mentioned, allow us to partner a little bit more on and collaborate with the private sector, but also we have a foundation. And so with that foundation, we're able to, to raise dollars from corporations, foundations, individuals. However, it is a what we call a, a supporting organization. So any dollars that we raise in the foundation need to be spent to further the mission of the IDDC. So it's, it's a good combination yeah. of, of things there. So, Elaine, I have long wondered why Indiana tourism has not been funded to the level of, of neighboring states, of competing states. You, look, you can look at numbers and talk about how, how much money visitors spend in Indiana and how much tourism generates. Yet, Indiana's state funding is just a fraction of, of, of other states. Right. Why, why, why has that been the case? Well, we inherited uh, what the budget was for the Indiana Office of Tourism Development, and that was $4.7 million once you kind of removed some of the pass-throughs that we had. And that was to run an organization and promote the state to the world. And obviously, that's not enough when your surrounding states are, are four, five, six, seven times that amount that they're spending every year to do that. But, you know, I think that... Um, uh, we inherited that, as I mentioned, and then the first opportunity would have been the legislative session in 21. And of course, it was the pandemic. And so nobody's budget got changed in state government at that time. So this was our first opportunity with, with uh, the 2023 legislative session. And I, I really feel like we had to do an awful lot of education to get the uh, legislators to understand the importance. And it's kind of moving a little bit from purely get visitors here to enjoy the state, to get visitors here to understand the state, get people here to want to live in the state. So it became a little more of an economic impact, you know, because our businesses that, that were getting to come here from everywhere, if they don't have the talent to fill the jobs, then eventually that's going to run out and we won't be, have, won't be as appealing uh, as a state. So we've got a lot of catch up to do to be able to kind of tell that story. But we did get some federal dollars in 2022 to assist the leisure and hospitality industry to come out of the pandemic. And so we used 1.9 million of those dollars for a campaign in Chicago, St. Louis, and Louisville. That's all you could afford when we do you know, commercial, you do radio, you do print, uh, and a lot of digital because that's the least expensive way you can go. And what we did is we asked Longwoods International to evaluate our return on investment. And they do that for other states and business entities all over the world. And so they came back and said after they had done all the interviewing that for every dollar that we spent in that promotion, the state of Indiana received six new tax dollars. So we brought new revenue, one, you know, $6 for every one, which um, we were very pleased with, but that's not out of line of what other states sometimes get as well, because it's based on the number of visitors coming, the spending they do here, the taxes that they generate. But even more important than that, what that showed us, what Longwood's analysis showed us is that we got something, a real boost in what they call the halo effect. It's the perception of Indiana. And basically they asked questions of people who had come to Indiana and had seen our promotion versus people who didn't come to Indiana and didn't see our promotion. And just asking them questions like, is Indiana a good place to live? 
Is Indiana a good place to work or start your career or start a business? And all of those perception numbers almost doubled in every category of saying, you know, this, you know, like 25% thought it might be a good place to live if they were unaware, but 40% said that there was a good place to live and they strongly agreed it was a good place to live uh, if they had seen our promotion and been here. It is so important to get them here. And once they get here, we know that they, they love it. It's like they've discovered this, this, this wonderful place and they don't want to leave. And we saw a lot of that with our Hoosier by Choice videos that we did um, earlier in the campaign. So and it was important to kind of share that information with the legislators, because I think they just didn't have an understanding of what other states were spending, the return on investment that we could get, the impact on perception, and then overall, what people think of Indiana um, in, the, in the general perception. Another way to measure perception is that another company does this annual study and they say, if you're planning a leisure trip, what U.S. states come to mind? And of course, California, Florida, Colorado, they were kind of in that top few, but Michigan was 19, Illinois was 24, Ohio was 30, Kentucky 33, Indiana was 45. Ah. I'm from the bottom. And, you know, and a lot of that is that people just don't know anything about Indiana. So it's not top of mind. They're not thinking about it. And I think seeing those kinds of numbers and everybody kind of knows we've got we've got more to offer than that. that We should be telling that story. And I think all of that together helped us to get a 20 million dollar budget for fiscal year 24 and fiscal year 25. Yeah. So obviously very happy about that. It's a huge increase from where you were, but give people who may not know uh, uh, people uh, an idea for how dramatic, like Michigan, for example, I know they promote a lot. How much, what was the right. different, uh, the, the, the difference oh. in terms of how much money they're spending? And Yeah. Michigan is about 40 million a year. And uh-huh. they, they've kind of had that kind of a budget for their pure Michigan campaign, which they started in 20, 2005. And it's been very successful. Whenever you hear Pure Michigan, you get this perception, this idea in your head of what it might be to be in Michigan. And uh, that's what we need to do. We need to get yeah. And that's what we're trying to do with our in Indiana messaging or branding. It's like everybody who's here, we want you to use in Indiana and create your own headline that goes with it that complements your own marketing. But that's how you get a really big megaphone so that everybody will start understanding that, oh, that asset's in Indiana, that college mm-hmm. is here. That, and you know, after you build that, that base of knowledge, then they get your curiosity up. And so they hopefully will want to come to visit, but likewise to live and work here. You like the fact you got the big in- increase to 20 million. You'd like to get on a level playing field with Michigan and some of these other states. And if that happens, I think you feel confident that, that Indiana can compete. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I, I wanted a $40 million budget and, but, you know, we got a 20 million. So that's pretty good when you only start out at, at 4.7. So we're pleased with that. It will allow us to, to really do uh, more saturation in, in the markets regionally. And perhaps we'll be able to do a little bit of na- targeted national campaigning. I think that there's some places that we would go initially to those states where people are already leaving like California, people are leaving California for a variety of reasons. Well, there's tech workers there. Why aren't we promoting to those tech workers to come to Indiana? And we've got plenty of tech jobs for them. So those are the kind of targeted campaigns that we do on a national level. You know, another place we might go to those, those states that have direct flights into Indiana, you know, get, get them to get, just hop on a plane and come. 
in the third place, you know, there's a lot of states that get very uncomfortable during the summer. Maybe they should have their second home up here in Indiana and come enjoy the summers that we have. So there's lots of planning and lots of thought that's going to go in that. But I will tell you, this $20 million budget, we'll probably spend 75 to 80% uh, on just media buys because it's mm. just getting the story out there that we need to do. And, you know, once you do all your creative and you spend money on that, you know, the more you can get it out there, the more use you get out of that, because that's a sunk cost at that point in time. So that's how we're kind of looking at it. You mentioned the campaign and, and uh, some of the uh, strategies you are implementing to be successful at getting more people in Indiana. The In Indiana campaign, you rolled that out. Has it been two years now? No, it hasn't even been a year. It was okay, June good. Okay. Twenty two. Tell me, because I was at, the, I know I was at that event. Tell you me about the campaign, uh, what it's all about, and how you're really trying to leverage a lot of different folks around the state of Indiana to promote this. Well, we we took the approach that we didn't want to do a tagline. Uh, we've tried that for Indiana in the past, and you know maybe the tagline is great for some people, but it didn't really relate to others, and so we didn't get a lot of push out of it. What we came up with is in Indiana as an identifier, and the I N is our initial, you know, our, our abbreviation, our two-letter abbreviation for the state of Indiana is in kind of an arrow, and then the, in, the word Indiana is, is spelled out. And we call that an identifier. And we want people to, to then put their own headline, more to discover in Indiana. Life is better in Indiana. Uh, your energy, your future in Indiana is one that NIPSCO used. So we're asking companies and municipalities and and uh, businesses of all sorts, colleges and universities to figure out how they can use it. And we've had over 600, what I call more permanent activations uh, in less than a year. And it real actually came in the first six months. We've kind of lost track of some of them now. Uh, that doesn't include all the social media stuff that went on using that. But the whole idea, again, is to get people to um, recognize what we have in Indiana. So if we can get people to put it at the bottom of their website, put it on their, new, their e-newsletter that goes out, use it however you'd like. I'm still waiting for a city or town to put it on their on their uh, water tower. You know, have the big oh, yeah, that would, be, water uh, that would be nice. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing some good, good response to it. People love it. They love the idea that they can make it their own. The destination marketing organizations around the state who are promoting their regions and are good partners of ours, they're using it in a variety of ways. You know, um, you can visit Steuben County in Indiana. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it just works for everything you want to do. And the nice part is if you get tired of the headline, change it. Or if you're using it just for an event like a festival, then you just use it for the event and then you start with something new, but continue to use it as much as we can. And all of the artwork that we did is free. We've got toolkits at it. Visit indiana.com, which is our website. You can go out there and download a toolkit for, we've got a general, a municipality, a college and university and a business, four different toolkits that are really specific to, you can do banners, you can do emails, you can do newsletters, all kinds of things are already laid out and you can do a quick start, type in your head, your headline and download your your new moniker. Elaine, in terms of a um, of, of a target market, if you will, in terms of talent, is there a certain a certain age or demographic you're going after? I think about you know so much has been made over the years about the brain drain and the college graduates and you know Indiana is an unbelievable you know group of public and private uh, colleges and universities keeping more of them in the state. Is that part of the effort? 
Absolutely. And uh, we've got several things that we're trying to work with with colleges and universities on doing. We've got um, what we call a college life experience passport, and it's a free download. This passport has 200 different locations around the state of Indiana that we think college students should go out and experience. And it may be the caves in southern Indiana. It may be a brewery. It could be a museum. But if we can get them off campus, and then it's gamified. So every time that they go and they check in with their GPS, they gain points, and then they get prizes. So mm-hmm. we're hoping that we just need to get them off campus. I don't know how many people I've talked to who said, you know, when I went to college, I never got off campus. Right. But we need to get them off campus. That's one of the things that we're doing. Another thing that we're doing is a, a pilot program uh, this summer with Fort Wayne, City of Fort Wayne, Fort Wayne Chamber, as well as Leadership Fort Wayne. And what they're doing is we're getting all of the interns that are working for businesses in their area and bringing them together once a week at a, at a, at a fun location so that they do a couple things. They're going to create their own social group. Mm-hmm. They're going to go somewhere fun in the area and they're going to learn a little bit more about the community you know, by programming, how it might be nice to get engaged with this organization or what, what, what else is going on with the community, where it's going in the future. So that if they get offered a job from that company where they're interning, that they'll be more likely to take it. And because I've already got a social network, I already know the community, I really like it here. So it's, change, it's again, giving them that, that idea, that perception of what it might be to like to, to live there. And so that's another pilot program that we're doing. But we're doing an awful lot of work with colleges and universities to really put programming that works for them and other things, other ideas they have to help retain those graduates. We have much more ahead with Elaine Beadle, the CEO at the Indiana Destination Development Corporation. We'll talk about growing up, college, Hanover College, one of many high-profile Hoosiers to go to Hanover, building her own uh, business uh, over the years, and much more. That's when the Business and Beyond podcast returns. At PNC Bank, we're committed to making a difference in the lives of our customers and communities by helping them move forward financially. As a Main Street bank, we try to do right by our customers with every encounter. Our local teams offer personalized financial advice to help guide you in making the best decision. We're proud to be part of your community. PNC Bank. See how we can make a difference for you at PNC.com. Copyright 2022, the PNC Financial Services Group Bank. All rights reserved. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week is Elaine Beadle, the CEO of the Indiana Destination Development Corporation, a uh, quasi-government organization, got private sector uh, participation in there too, really focused on not only tourism, but attracting, retaining talent in the state of Indiana. And Elaine, how does an accountant get into the tourism and the talent Mm -hmm. business? Tell me about that. Uh, Well, that's that's a little bit of a long story. (laughs) I um, I actually... uh, started working for a bank out of college. Uh, I went to Hanover College, as you mentioned, and uh, started working for Indiana National Bank, which is oh. no longer here. Yeah. I merged into a variety of other banks that we have here, regions as well as uh, as Chase. And um, But I um, uh, started there and actually 
started in, in the operations area, but got moved into the trust division to start a financial planning practice. And uh, that was when banks were trying to figure out is financial planning something that they should be engaged in. So I did that uh, for a while. Then I got it recruited out of there to join a publishing firm. So leaving the practitioner side to go to the other side and help uh, do marketing materials with software and that type of thing for financial planners to use. And that company left town, mergers and acquisitions hit, and they moved to Chicago. And uh, so I kind of started my own practice at the time. But that was only for about a year, year and a half when Coopers and Libran, if you remember that name, sure, um, yeah. uh, now PricewaterhouseCoopers, asked me to join them to, to, start, to start a financial planning practice inside their firm. And so I took that opportunity as well and uh, uh, did that for about two, two and a half years. And I, I think the one thing that I learned in both with the bank and the CPA firm, uh, they were interested in financial planning. They kind of wanted it as that little specialty service on the side, but that's not their main line of business. But what it really did for me, it introduced me to a profession that I was a math major. So I, you know, they, did, they, didn't, they didn't have financial planning courses in college for your profession as they do now. I mean, you can wow. graduate with yeah. a financial planning degree now. Uh, but I found this wonderful, that fit me well. I mean, it kind of fit that math logical side that I really like dealing with. And it was a kind of a people business as well. So I started the current practice on January 1st of 1989 is what I gave it. So a long time ago, so I'm old, um, <laughs> but been very, very fortunate. It was, it, it grew over the years. That's when you and I did get to know each other in those early days. And, um, the business has has continued to grow and the staff has continued to grow. And so, you know, financial planning, investment management is, is what we do and at Beetle Financial. And uh, it, it, it turned out to be great. So ask me how I made that transition. Yeah, um, yeah that's what I want to know, because you came. It sounds like the timing was right, that the growth and the acceptance of the financial planning uh, profession, if you will. But taking a leap to start your own business, you know, that's that that takes some courage. Well, the starting it, yeah, you know what? It's sometimes better to know what you don't know. Or don't know what <laughs> the right questions to ask or even what could happen. But, um, you know, at the time when I did start the practice, there weren't a lot of women, particularly women business owners uh, in that area, um, in the financial planning, investment management area. So it just, just seemed like the right thing to do, you know? So I just didn't really think about any downsides. And, you know, first of all, you start with yourself and uh, I was doing everything. And then you realize that, even though it's the hardest thing to do is to hire that first employee, uh, you realize that you can, you can do a lot more and you get a lot done. So it leverages your time. So, you know, we got over that hump of the first employee and now I think we have something like 25. So, uh, and it's, it's, it's been great. And again, a lot of support, got a lot, of, I got engaged in um, our organizations, our, our national organization, our international organization and served on boards at uh, both of those levels, which again, gave you a great view of what people were doing around this country, but also around the world in the areas of financial planning. You know, and sometimes it opens your eyes to think that people in Australia, Japan, Mexico, Canada, Great Britain, everywhere, they need financial planning. And so now right. it's wonderful that the, that the industry and the profession has developed to that point, particularly with the certified financial planner designation in place as well, that, um, that it's, uh, it's serving people all over the world. So yeah, it was a little bit of a risk, but uh, it paid off. I mean, I, I've, I've enjoyed it. I think if you enjoy something, um, you love what you do, you're going to succeed. 
that's yeah. at, at some place. And so, um, you know, I can throw that right back at you. You've been very successful in your business as well. Well, thank you. Okay. Elaine Beadle grew up in Ripley County, right? I did. Uh, Batesville, close to Batesville. Talk about growing up in Southeast Indiana. So not too far from Cincinnati, right? Right. In fact, Cincinnati was a much closer drive than coming to Indianapolis. So you we probably were had very- Cincinnati, Cincinnati TV, right? Yes. Yep. Cincinnati TV went to the Reds games all the time. Was a regular attendee at at Cincinnati Reds when they were in the old Crosley Fields before oh, they yeah. got into their new stadium. Uh, boy, and sitting in Crosley Fields, I mean, when, when you're behind the batter, you're behind the batter. I mean, <laughs> you are really close. So it, it, it was that was great growing up there. I grew up on a farm. And, uh, you know, I think when um, I look back, I always felt that maybe I was a little disadvantaged. I mean, I was out on the farm. All of my friends in town could go to the movies, walk to the store, do whatever they wanted. I felt that their life was obviously much better than mine. But, um, you know, the older you get, the more you recognize the lessons learned there and uh, the work ethic you gain there. And, you know, we, we were farm kids. So, you know, yeah. we, we, we helped out in the barn. We helped in the field. We did all kinds of stuff, which... Now I look back and it was probably a pretty nice time. So yeah, thinking back on that, what uh, what was your your youth, your childhood like? I'm sure you were a good student. Were you were you into sports? Do you like uh, sports, music? I what sports. was your, yeah? Uh, I can I, tell I, you I, do because you and I. I'll let people in on a little uh, little secret. You and I exchange <laughs> emails every week talking about in football season. It's about the Colts. Might be about golf. Whatever the case might be. So I know you're a sports fan. Yeah, well, that, and those are fun emails. I appreciate that. I, I was um, a little bit early. I kind of wish that I was back in high school now because we didn't have a lot of girls' sports. Oh, sure, yeah. Actually, none. Um, they had GAA, Girls Athletic Association, and you know, you you, you um, practice volleyball and got to play maybe one game against a local school or something. It was nothing. It, there was nothing there. However, I got saved by the fact that our church was in a church league. And we had probably six or seven churches that had co-ed leagues. So I played a lot of co-ed softball, co-ed volleyball. And um, that was really kind of a great outlet for me. Plus, I realized that I could run faster than a lot of the boys. At the- ah, yeah. <laughs> Which was kind of, again, one of those things where you, you run faster than the boys and they kind of look at you and it's like, okay, maybe I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was it was uh, but growing up, that's that was my only outlet for sports, because, again, the high schools yeah. didn't offer anything. I got to Hanover and I actually ended up playing intercollegiate softball and uh, volleyball. And um, for a few years, I didn't do the basketball because, uh, you know, laugh about this. It was still half court rules. Yeah. Unless you were the rover, you couldn't play the full court. You had to go to the halfway line and stop. I mean, it's ridiculous because I guess wow. they thought we were such flowers that we couldn't we couldn't run the whole court. But um, yeah. but my claim to fame in basketball there is that I was doing you know at, as a math major. I decided, well, let's do some student teaching just in case I end up wanting to teach math at some point in time. So I was doing my student teaching at the local high school, um, Southeastern High School, and I didn't realize this, but every year there was a girls basketball team so the girls in the high school their basketball team played the teachers the the female teachers at the school and so they asked me if I would play and um I of course I was going to play and so the funny part this was the first year that the teachers beat the students 
in, ah, in this one good. basketball game. I got written up in the local paper. So there was my 15 seconds of fame. I love it. It how, got, many, how many points? Do you remember how many points oh, you scored? I, I don't, but it was probably a lot. It was probably more than anyone else on the team was scoring. <laughs> but, but, you know, because I got, I got the whole floor. But anyway, it was kind of funny. I don't remember all those details, but it did come up at when I was in my senior year. At Hanover, there was an honors convocation that they always have. And the dean of women read the newspaper article in front of the whole student body to oh, that's introduce great. me. <laughs> it was funny. So my that's 15 good. seconds of fame, and there it goes. That, that is good. What uh, You mentioned Hanover. You know, I, I, I like to say the Hanover Mafia because, <laughs> you know, you've got Mike Pence, uh, Eric Holcomb, Elaine Beadle. I mean, so many people, it, it, very high-profile levels in state government went to Hanover. What was it? Yeah. What was it about Hanover? Well, you're very kind uh, to include me with that group. But, uh, you know, Hanover, it's it's a small college, obviously. And, you know, some people do really well at, at, at small schools. Others prefer larger in universities. So all of that makes sense. I think the unique thing is that it's a liberal arts. You major in math or you major in history or political science or, or pre-med or whatever, but you still get a liberal arts background, which I think is, is a, a good rounding kind of yeah. completes the person a little bit. Uh, I don't know if that's all of it, but um, I don't know. It, it was a great place for me. I yeah. think that the, the smallness, you tend to know anybody who else who was there during your four years that you spent there. We continue to reinvent Hanover, as all the colleges are doing right now as well. And, and uh, I'm actually on their board, uh, chairing their board right now. And, yeah. uh, you know, we've added some graduate programs, which have been very successful. And so it's an interesting time for colleges. But Hanover's got a special place, I think. So it's a yeah. beautiful campus. If anybody's it, not it, it down is. there, right on the Ohio River. Yeah, it is. Tell, and tell me about that, because I know... Colleges, especially liberal arts, smaller liberal arts colleges are, are facing a lot of challenges. Right. Talk about that and and just the liberal arts education in general, because, I mean, I agree with you. Uh, I think there's so much to be said for that. But I think in some circles, the the value has been diminished. But your, your thought on higher education, especially at some smaller, some of the smaller schools and where it's where it's headed. Well, I think we're facing a little bit of a demographic demographic issue right now. Yeah, there are right. fewer eighteen-year-olds coming out of out of high school, and add on to that that there are are some that are choosing alternative forms of education, either going to just certificate programs or just an associate degree or something like that. So there's fewer choosing to go to four-year colleges. And so you're kind of in competition with a lot of them out there to do that. And so I think the important thing for particularly small colleges is to is to manage it well and look to the future. You know, in our case, it's what could we be doing that would be attractive to even bring more students here. So we have a doctorate in physical therapy and we have a doctorate in occupational therapy that we just started over the last few years. And so, you know, it's kind of an automatic admit if you're a Hanover student and you make the grade, you know that you're going to get into the physical therapy doctorate program at Hanover. So we're hoping that that, plus we've got some other things on the drawing board of that school. We're looking at uh, putting a vet school in Southern Indiana, that would be the same way. If, you, if you're a wow. Hanover student interested in that, if you make the grades, you're going to be an automatic admit. So those are some things that we've been thinking about because for so many people, they think liberal arts and they they don't tie it necessarily directly to a career. And 
the, the, the opportunity with the liberal arts is that it's almost open to almost any career that, that you'd like to do because you learn a lot of thinking skills. Um, you learn a lot of leadership. And, you know, again, on a small college, there's opportunities to be with organizations and, and rise to leadership if that's what you want to do. But that's all a great training ground uh, for some of those kinds of things. Well, you have taken leadership to, uh, certainly to uh, to a new level, uh, Elaine, uh, in your career through building a business and now at the Indiana Destination Development Corporation. Uh, it's been a real treat to catch up with you. I know we'll be connecting uh, uh, probably news stories around your efforts at IDDC going forward. So really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for all you do as well for oh, Indiana. My pleasure. It's, it's, it's a joy to be able to do this. It's something Indiana really needs. And yep. so it's it's kind of on, I'm on a mission at this point in time. So I'm happy to do it. But thank you, Gary, for the time and the opportunity. All right. And thank you for joining us on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast. It's presented by PNC, a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment and beyond. And you can download this episode and all 100 plus episodes of the podcast and get Indiana Business News 24 seven. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.